0: 55th episode of The Morning Rage. I'm your host, Jen Prentiss. And I'm your co-host, Lauren O'Keefe. And this is not your mom's morning show. It's a space where we pop off about all things culture, society, and politics in order to help you unpack your beliefs, feel more confident in sharing your voice. And today, we're going to really bring the crowd down from any holiday high that you might be on this week and talk about getting your finances under control in 2022.
1: Yes, I mean, we realize that talking about being intentional with your spending habits and saving money might cause some cognitive dissonance uh, during a time of year when you're probably watching your bank account drain with Amazon and Target purchases. I don't know that
0: from experience at all. Actually, we hope your account isn't draining from Amazon and Target purchases. (laughs) We hope that your account is not draining at all. But if it is, we hope it's with the gifts that you bought from small businesses You know, maybe off of the gift guide that we did earlier this month. Ooh, way to reference a previous pod, Jen. I'm always here trying to promote previous episodes. (laughs) And I did order an always pan for my brother and sister-in-law for Christmas. It weirdly already arrived, despite telling me it was going to be back-ordered until January. (gasps) Because shipping is like really weird right now. It's a Christmas miracle. Christmas miracle. Christmas miracle. And they love it. So, thank you, Lauren and... Thank you, fellow Razorette Christine, Mm -hmm. for that recommendation. And always, Pan, call me. We're always (laughs) looking for sponsors and some of that sweet ad (laughs) revvy. Seriously. We have done some fun episodes this month. Our one-year anniversary Ask Us Anything episode – Our gift guide, our Hallmark Movies episode last week. I feel like December's been a fun month for us.
1: Well, we were on like a little bit of a celebration bender, I think, because it was our one-year anniversary on the pod. So we thought we'd have some fun. Speaking of
0: celebration bender, (laughs) is that what we're currently drinking too right now?
1: We're drinking this wine, you guys, that is one of my favorites. I look forward to it every year. It's from Joe Swick from Willamette Valley up in Oregon, and it's called City Pop. It's a sparkly, little zesty thing. It's almost like an apricot color. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's delightful. Where can
0: people purchase City Pop?
1: Oh, great question, Jen. We have it at Bodega Los Alamos. On the website? Well, you can hit me up, and I can hook you up with it. It's not on the website yet.
0: Slide into the Morning Rage DMs, the Bodega Los Alamos DMs. Yeah, and do it quickly, or I'm going to swoop on like all the bottles we
1: have (laughs) because it's so
0: good. Yes. great new year's wine all right should we uh do some popping off yes let's pop what are you popping about today lauren okay well i am
1: popping off about the second pandemic in america don't get scared guys Dear god don't get scared and also i'm not talking about omicron <laughs> i don't think we need to hear any more about that right now
0: Okay, so the second pandemic, what is this? Okay,
1: this is the mental health crisis that has followed the past two years of trauma we have all experienced from COVID, racial justice issues, and lots of political division. And I read an article in the New York Times where they asked therapists from around the country what they were hearing from their patients, which is very fascinating. It will surprise no one that the main issues include anxiety, depression, overwhelm, isolation, uncertainty... And the feeling of being stuck. This is not a shock. Yeah. (laughs) So what do we do? Well, I wanted to bring this up because aside from the article, I've talked to so many friends, and I'm sure Jen, you have as well, that are feeling all of these things. I myself am feeling a number of these things. And I think we're all wondering what's wrong with us. You know, it's making us all a little concerned maybe (laughs) about ourselves. And I think we need to realize that we've, all been through trauma over the past two years in a number of areas. And we need to normalize, at least for now, these feelings and allow ourselves to move through them instead of push them away. And one therapist in the article, LaCacia Sullivan, a clinical psychologist in Atlanta said, I regularly wished aloud for a mental health version of Dr. Fauci to give daily briefings. I tried to normalize the wide range of intense emotions people felt. Some thought they were truly going crazy.
0: There have been moments in 2021 where I have thought that I was truly going crazy. Yeah. It has felt harder than 2020. Yes. It's like all of the after effects
1: of the year of 2020 and us still dealing with things has led to so many people feeling all sorts of emotions that maybe they don't normally. It's leading obviously to a lot of relational issues, whether it's with family, whether it's with your husband who's always around somehow, to your kids who are like every so often still on their computers like doing school online. It's bringing up a lot of new issues and it's also highlighting issues that maybe have always been there but we've been able to avoid. I just think it's important for us, like I said, to know that other people are feeling this way as well, and that you acknowledge that we have been through trauma of sorts, and we need to kind of unravel that. Another licensed mental counselor in Jacksonville, Florida, Michelle Slater said, there is a general feeling of stuckness and stagnancy that is new. So this is not uncommon if you are feeling this way, a lot of folks are kind of in that boat. I mean, I think we've all experienced kind of like an existential crisis of sorts. Like, where do we go from here? A lot of things have changed. Maybe our jobs have changed. Maybe we want our jobs to change because we're rethinking the future. There's a lot of stuff up for grabs and that uncertainty is really hard
0: to deal with for a lot of people. Is there any upside to this? Any upside, give it to me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) On a positive note, it seems more people are now seeking therapy I think with um, people like Simone Biles, who has opened up about mental health issues, we have other athletes that have talked about the struggles that they're having. I think more people. Are losing the stigma of therapy and starting to seek counseling, which is really, really great. Our therapists in the country are very overwhelmed with lots of people. But at the same time, I think it's important that at least people are looking for ways to process their emotions.
0: Where do the therapists go? Like, that is a lot to deal with on a daily basis, carrying all of our collective burdens. Like, what do they do? To help themselves. I guess they like all get in a room together and (laughs) just let it loose or... Well, in like a very meta way,
1: like all therapists typically have a therapist, you know, that they turn to, but they're all very overloaded, of course. And one of them had said that it was such an interesting time for them to be dealing with the same emotions and the same issues as the people that they're counseling at the same time. Like that's not typically how it works that we are all experiencing these things together and they're trying to help people as they're experiencing some of the very same things so it is a lot but I think this gives a lot of really good perspective and we'll link to the article just about the fact that this is something that is hitting a lot of people across the country and even one of the therapists said I believe I will be helping people navigate the effects of the pandemic for the rest of my career wow So it's not nothing and I think we all need to understand that that we have all been through something even if you know we are very privileged and lucky I'm speaking for myself that I wasn't affected in a lot of negative ways from losing a job or losing a close loved one or those types of things and I'm very thankful for that but at the same time I think we do all need to know that there have been a lot of things in the last two years that would affect us in a number
0: of ways. I completely agree. I, Like I said, I have felt like this year, the last few months have been so much harder for me mentally and emotionally than all of 2020 was. It was almost like we had a common enemy that we were all rallying around in yeah. 2020. Mm-hmm. And then the war ended, but the soldiers were still battle-weary. Yeah, that's what it feels like for sure, I think, for a lot of people. Okay, well, my pop-off is not unrelated. Let's go. Let's pop. It's not unrelated to COVID and some of the fallout from it. I had my own little pop-off this weekend. Oh, in real Um, life? Yeah. IRL? Towards my (laughs) in-laws. It wasn't great, Lauren. So... In an effort to share some tips on how not to have a grace-filled, nuanced conversation around the holiday dinner table, let me tell you a cautionary tale of what I did and what you should not do.
1: I know I shouldn't be, but I'm excited
0: to hear this. I love my in-laws. They truly are wonderful, giving people, but we don't agree on a lot of things, politically in particular. For the most part, I try to just avoid controversial conversations with them. I said this on Instagram this week and I meant it. I said, I don't have to agree with someone to love and be friends with them. I truly do mean that. Mm -hmm. And I love my in-laws, even though I don't always agree with them. But at one point this weekend, while they were in town to celebrate an early Christmas, I kind of snapped. The content of what we were talking about, it's not really that important. I will just say that we were talking about COVID related issues and I raised my voice. And I shared my opinion, and my father-in-law raised his voice back. And he shared his opinion. And (laughs) That's a really nice way of talking about an argument. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't like we were screaming at each other. Of course. Russ and my mother-in-law both had to tell us, like, hey, you guys just have to kind of agree to disagree and stop talking about this particular issue. And a few hours later, when I was running an errand by myself, I took a little time out. (laughs) I put myself in time (laughs) out. I was thinking about why I got so mad at my father-in-law for his opinion, which his opinion honestly isn't actually that much different from the opinion of some of my very close friends. Mm -hmm. And I came up with a few takeaways from this incident that I think might be helpful for everyone listening. The first takeaway is that we often unload on the people that we feel the most comfortable with. So if you are gathering with family or close friends who you don't agree with this holiday season, just be aware of that. I lived with my in-laws for three months before I married my husband, so they are like second family to Mm -hmm. me. I know them very well, they know me very well. Know that you might say something in the company of family or close friends that you wouldn't normally say at like a work party or a casual gathering of people you don't know as well, simply because you feel like, well, these people who I'm close to have to love me regardless of what I say or do. you and like you then, get a pass, yeah. almost. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's not untrue, but the second thing that I thought was like, before you or I say <laughs> the thing or get into the discussion, I think we need to ask ourselves, how does having this conversation benefit our relationship? Or how does me being quote unquote right or asserting my opinion in this conversation, how does it benefit our relationship? Is it really necessary for me to share my opinion? Will sharing my opinion really change The other person's point of view, the answer is almost always no, by the way. (laughs) Almost always no.
1: Unless you comment on Facebook, and then you're definitely going to change their opinion,
0: right? Right. Well, all social media comments change people's opinions. A 100% of the time, it works every time. Right.
1: (laughs) Guys, we're joking. Just
0: (laughs) please don't. Yeah, you can't can't see our faces. In case sarcasm doesn't come through Mm -hmm. on a podcast, that was sarcasm. (laughs) (laughs) or like, am I just trying to be heard in this Mm. situation? And in my situation, I think I was just kind of at a breaking point with a lot of different things, not necessarily even related to my in-laws. And I was just trying to voice my opinion for the sake of hearing myself talk. And that never turns out well for me. We all know I talk too much anyhow. What? If you talk too much, then I talk too much. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you think we started a podcast? (laughs) But the third and final thing that I asked myself whenever I was in my grocery store timeout, was what would have been the loving thing to do in that situation? And I think asking yourself, what is the loving thing to do in a controversial conversation or a situation that's a little bit heated, I think that's especially important when it comes to those conversations with close family and friends. What is loving doesn't always feel fun. It doesn't always feel like you or me getting to say exactly how we feel about political or religious or controversial issues. I do think it's important to say how we feel about other things, you know, related to our relationship with that person or our emotions. But when it comes to politics and religion and COVID, maybe we surrender our freedom of speech for the good of the community that we are gathered with this holiday season.
1: That's that, it. That is so well put, Jen. I completely agree. I think that is a really great way to go into holiday time with family. And you're right. I mean, we definitely need to stand up for ourselves in other in other places in our lives, but this is not one of them maybe right now.
0: <laughs> not at Christmas time. <laughs> My mom always used to ask the question, is this the hill you wanna die on? Mm-hmm. Now I know when we're talking about COVID related things, that might be a <laughs> weird question to ask. <laughs> Let's shift gears.
1: Should we talk about money now?
0: Yes, who wants to be a millionaire?
1: Wait, I don't think that's what this show is, and I don't want to get sued, yet. <laughs>
0: Dang it. Yeah, okay. I know. all right. Before we get started talking about money, I do want to add a disclaimer. Parts of this discussion we are about to have about budgeting and finances, where we talk about not shopping for a year or saving money for retirement and becoming, quote-unquote, net worth millionaires, this is coming from a place of privilege. Lauren and I realize that. Like, Lauren said earlier that... She was very privileged. I was also very privileged over COVID that we didn't lose our jobs, mm-hmm. that we didn't have family who experienced like serious medical trauma and thus would have had, you know, a huge amount of medical bills and potentially mm-hmm. debt. So, right up front, I want to acknowledge two things. One, I want to acknowledge the wealth gap in our country and that it is great, and that research shows that people of color, especially Black and Latinx and Hispanic women, are the most affected by this gap. Black women make 15% less than white women and 35% less on average than white men. And we will link to a few different studies that talk about how we can close that wealth gap or at least work to do so in the show notes. So I want to acknowledge that right up front, that this conversation is a conversation between two white women who are coming from a place of privilege monetarily, probably simply because of the color of our skin. Mm -hmm. The second thing that I want to acknowledge is that, like I said earlier, regardless of the color of our skin, your skin, sometimes people are just in a bad financial spot. Like sometimes you had a huge medical expense crop up. You lost your job over COVID. You had to take a pay cut. You can't find work right now. If that is you, then this conversation probably is not for you. I'm saying that upfront because I don't want it to be triggering for people to hear us talk about saving money or be intentional or being intentional in planning their future, planning for their retirement, when someone might be just wondering how they're gonna pay rent mm-hmm. and keep a roof over their head or where their next meal is gonna come from, okay?
1: I'm really glad you said that, Jen. I think that's really important for us to put out there upfront. Um, can you talk about who this conversation would ideally be for?
0: Yes, so this conversation is for people who have a stable income, but not a lot to show for it, honestly, or not as much as they, want to show for it. It's for the person who is looking at their spending habits and thinking, I need to get my spending habits under control in 2022. It's for the person who feels like they maybe have to keep up with the Joneses, or I think in this day and age, that social media influencer, and who's buying things that they don't need because they think that those things will make them feel better, or it'll project a certain image or a certain status to the world. And I'm including myself. In a lot of those groups of people, I am just as guilty of spending money that I don't need to spend and spending it for the wrong reasons as anyone. And we will talk about that in this episode today.
1: So I have noticed something, Jen, and maybe I can ask you this question. Why is it so weird to talk about money with anyone? Like, it was really uncomfortable for me when I was younger, especially in work situations. If I wanted to ask for a raise, I'd get super, super sweaty and, like, feel really uncomfortable. I feel like I'm getting a little better at, at it as I get older and being, like, maybe too honest about things. But why is money such a weird thing for people to discuss?
0: I think that, like, a lot of touchy subjects, the generation ahead of us, our parents' generation, they just didn't talk about it. Like yeah, that's their true. their mental health finances, how we felt about other people, our own emotions. Our parents' generation and definitely our grandparents' generation, they didn't talk about that stuff. And generally in the case of a job interview, when you're going in and like negotiating for pay or negotiating for a raise, you're talking about it with your boss who is usually, not always, but usually a couple years or a whole generation older than you. So it feels uncomfortable because we don't have practice in it. We weren't trained in how to talk about money. Mm -hmm. I mean, my parents and their friends, they didn't talk about money at all. And that's something that I am actively working to change with my kids, still figuring out the appropriate ways to do that. But I think that that's a great place to start this conversation on finances because it is really important to look at the beliefs that you grew up thinking the thoughts that you grew up thinking the script that you were told about money Mm -hmm. from your family or your upbringing Mm -hmm. so for me that was that there never seemed to be enough of it Mm -hmm. I remember when I was very young like we would go to the grocery store my brother and I would ask for snacks and we couldn't afford to get Teddy Grahams Mm -hmm. at the grocery store growing up I grew up feeling like I couldn't Ever keep up with the Joneses because there wasn't money to do it. And if I was going to have that nice thing, I grew up thinking we well, have to put it on a credit card. When I was in college, I got into credit card debt.
1: Oh, your first credit card when you're like in school and no one's watching what you're buying. Yeah, it's hard to keep that under control.
0: You're like, it's like magic. Yeah, I, <laughs> wait, I can just swipe swipe. Yeah, and, and get this, and thing. then you just give it to me. Okay, and then like I pay you ten bucks a month. For this? Yeah. <laughs> Forever and ever, as long as we both shall live, Visa. <laughs> so I, I do think that it's important to replay the scripts that you were taught or that you grew up thinking about mm-hmm. money and look at how that affects the way that you spend money today. I don't know, were there any like... Scripts that you were taught, any beliefs that you were raised with about money? I like that
1: you brought up this idea of the scripts that we have and the narratives that we grow up with and how they're so instilled in us because I have noticed that even between myself and my husband, like how he was raised. And we grew up in the 2008 crisis when a lot of people lost their jobs and their homes and the stock market had crashed. And so I think. With those types of things, there's always even been maybe a stigma around investing. And um, my family does have, you know, stocks just like normal, like everybody maybe has like a little portfolio of sorts and they put some money away for me in stocks. But it was also this kind of idea of like, it could all go away at any moment. (laughs) You know? And so even the idea of investing, I remember my parents always being like, oh, we should have just put the money under the mattress kind of thing. It like would have been safer there. Gold. Yeah, gold. Should have bought gold.
0: Always get gold. (laughs) Well, once you know what you grew up believing about money, then you can decide whether those beliefs are helpful or harmful to the way that you use your money today. The second thing that I would recommend to people is look at the way that you are spending your money. Like you need to know how you're using your money. And so anyone who's looking to get a handle on their finances in 2022, know how you're spending your money.
1: So is Dave Ramsey going to like pop out at any moment and talk to us as well? Or you got this girl? I did read some David Jace books. Okay. So I actually did do a Dave Ramsey course. And though I didn't cut my credit cards like a crazy person and just use cash in an envelope, which is like very bizarre and time consuming. Also, we're in a coin shortage. You can't be doing that. <laughs> I was going to
0: say, literally this week, I tried to use cash someplace mm. and they were like, yeah, I don't have any change. Can you use a card? So it's like, Dave, what do we do now, buddy? Tell Come us. On. Gotta update that book. But the one thing that I did take
1: away from it was this idea that you're talking about that you need to tell your money where to go versus it telling you where it's going. You know, like you just have no idea, like the money's just happening and it's just leaving me. Instead, you're like, no, I actually know where it's going. So yes. what are your recommendations for figuring that out,
0: Jen? Since you've already brought up Dave. <laughs> Come um, on. You can't have a conversation
1: about finances and not bring up Dave.
0: It's true. <laughs> I would like to say Dave Ramsey has some great principles for financial management. A lot of what he says is true. However, his delivery is a bit militant <laughs> and shame-based. Yeah.
1: This is that like buffet that you pick what you want to take out of it and you leave the rest. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. a mm-hmm. 100%. <laughs> okay. So what... I have done in order to figure out like where my money's going, how to direct it appropriately, put every dollar to work as Ramsey says. Mhm. Mm-hmm. I make a budget based on 3 normal months of spending. So don't look at December. Oof.
1: Yeah, December don't, is a weird month. Don't yeah. look at November or even January. Sure. Cuz January you're like everyone's like oh, I'm not spending money. We're not doing it
0: not this month february seems like a good month agreed february march and april maybe okay i like no one's overspending on easter (laughs) make a budget based on three normal months of spending overestimate your expenses underestimate your income look at the money that's coming in what's going out and there will typically be a category that you are spending a lot more money on Mm. than you realized so overestimate expenses underestimate income Don't depend on bonuses. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's another thing. Like, even if you get a regular bonus, do not depend on that money for any regular bills. Yes. I would look at bonuses as, okay, I can save that money. I can go on that vacation. I can do... Renovations on my house. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then also make a list of annual expenditures. So that's things like DMV Mm -hmm. registrations, budgeting for Christmas presents, Mm -hmm. car insurance. Like, do this. On a pretty regular basis make sure your expenditures obviously aren't exceeding your income but then also figure out a plan to cut down those expenditures and put that money that you're saving by cutting down those expenditures into a savings account of some sort because lauren do you know how much you would have in the bank at age 65 if you put 475 dollars a month into a retirement account
1: i played this game when i did the dave ramsey course and it was actually terrifying because I was like, if I started this five, 10 years ago, I'd be buco bucks by
0: then. So mm-hmm. tell us,
1: what what is that number?
0: So if you put $475 a month into a retirement account. Since what age? From 22 to 65. Okay. You will have $3.5 million in the bank at age 65.
1: Oh, talk about a retirement plan.
0: Yeah. Now, again, I want to point out that We realize not everyone can afford to put $475 away each month, especially not in your 20s, okay? (laughs) But if you can, why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. Also, a lot of companies have matching programs, so maybe you can't put $475 away, but you can put $250 away, and then your company will match that. Mm -hmm. So that's the equivalent of $475, putting $475 away.
1: Have you read financial books in the past to like set up your budgeting plan, or do you continuously read financial books? Because I'm impressed.
0: My husband went through Crown Financial Ministries. Oh, tell me more. I can't. He went through it. I didn't.
1: (laughs) Russ, next time I see you, tell me more.
0: (laughs) And I read, you know, Dave Ramsey's Financial piece all those years ago, but... This week, actually, I just read a book called Everyday Millionaire by Chris Hogan, who used to be part of the Ramsey organization. I believe he was let go. Was he using credit cards? Did Dave say,
1: excuse me, sir, you cut those or you're out? No, I'm pretty sure he
0: slept with his secretary, but... <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, as long as his financial integrity is
0: intact, then <laughs> we're fine. The research that he did for this book, Everyday Millionaire, was on 10,000 people who are considered net worth millionaires. So to be a net worth millionaire, that means that the total of all the things that you own, all the money that you have in the bank, minus whatever you owe equals $1 million or more. Most of the people that he interviewed, most of these 10,000 people had between one and $5 million in net assets and about 10% of them had more than $5 million in net assets. And he looked at what their behaviors are, what they did with their money to put it to work for them, and what they didn't do. And one of the big takeaways from that book was that, like, mindset about money matters, Mm. which is why I suggested, you know, understanding what you believe about money. Chris himself came from a very poor family in Kentucky, but his parents and his mentors always told him like you can have financial stability one day. He's now very successful and is a, you know, net worth millionaire and is literally writing a book about it. He also said that not only is what you think more important than building wealth through income, but what you do is more important than building wealth through income. Only 31% of these net worth millionaires that they interviewed made over a hundred thousand dollars for most of their careers. Hmm. Most of the 10,000 people that they interviewed for this book made less than six figures for most of their careers.
1: That's amazing. That said something for sure.
0: I think that takes a certain set of restraint to oh, like yes. mm-hmm. not spend money and be frugal. And that's where I think Dave and the Ramsey organization can get a little militant Sometimes. Yeah, I got a YOLO, Jen. That boat ain't gonna buy itself, girl. (laughs) (laughs) But my biggest takeaway from the book was that when it comes to my personal spending habits, Mm. that is the key to saving money. It's controlling my urge to spend whenever I don't really need something. Like controlling that urge, controlling what comes in. And that's where I could do better in 2022.
1: Yeah, you realize any type of self-control, whether it be working out, spending, eating, all of these things, it's like a practice. It's a muscle you work and build over time. And just knowing that you can control it, I think for me, it always feels very empowering, you know? And to feel like you have a handle on it, And it's not just happening to you when it comes to money. Well, Jen, I think this is a really good time for you to talk to us about your year without clothes because is that not the ultimate self-control? How are you feeling about that going into it?
0: Yeah, I am not buying clothes, shoes, or accessories for an entire year. Yes,
1: and unlike some times on Instagram when people say this, we actually did get a lot of questions (laughs) about your year without clothes. And you have some people that are joining you on the journey of not spending for a year and feeling in control of these things. So can you tell us, maybe to start, why are you not buying clothes, shoes, and accessories for a year?
0: I mean, the biggest reason is because I want to remodel my kitchen and my guest bathroom, and (laughs) I cannot have everything that I want all the time, Lauren. (laughs) It
1: is is one of the truths of
0: life, yes. Okay, but in 2018, I did A Year Without Clothes, and that came about because I realized that I was buying like new clothes or shoes or earrings or handbags as a way to make myself feel good if I was experiencing a negative emotion. So I decided to go 12 months without buying clothes, shoes, or accessories, kind of in an attempt to get my spending habits under control, to realize my emotional triggers and learn more healthy coping skills for my negative emotions. And you know what? It worked. I liked it so much that I tried to do another one in 2020, but I don't know, what happened in 2020, Lauren? Oh no, no one had enough self-control for 2020. Online shopping was
1: all we had. Yeah, and when you start drinking at 2 p.m., like eventually you're going to start online shopping.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I definitely realized that online shopping was one of the few joys that we had over COVID. But as I looked at 2021, I realized that my spending habits had gotten a little out of control again. And I wanted to do another year without clothes in 2022. Like I said, I technically started December 1 of this year. So maybe I'm going 13 months. I don't know, but I'm encouraging people to hop on board with me and join me in 2022. The reason that I started December 1 was because I can't stay away from those holiday deals. and it, it,
1: They act like they're never going to have a sale ever again.
0: <laughs> and Taylor Loft is 40% off. That never happens.
1: Meanwhile, on President's Day, they'll be like, guys, BOGO. <laughs> You're like, wait a second, what?
0: What? <laughs> So yes, like you said, people actually submitted questions. There's about four women who are hopping on to join me in my year without clothes. I'm going to start a group me. How fun. Yeah. I'm going to start a group me for anyone who wants to hop on and join this year without clothes so that we can encourage each other in the moment. Because that's really the thing is that when you are feeling like you want to purchase something, you need accountability. Yes. In the moment. Yes. So a group me is the best way to do this so that we can all just like, Text each other and say, hey, I had a bad day. I want to go buy a new sweater. Mm -hmm. I know I shouldn't do this. Mm -hmm. And we can be like, hey, girl, or guy. Guys can hop on too. Yep. Don't do that. We're here for you. Yeah. You know, as we said, people did ask a
1: lot of questions about your year without clothes. Can I ask you some of them? Bring them on. Okay. First question Do you buy a lot of stuff before you do this shopping fast?
0: I did in 2018, yes. (laughs) This year, I just bought some sandals and a camel-colored coat for myself. It is not advisable to binge buy before you start shopping for a year. Yeah, probably not. But also, no judgment.
1: Yes, but I do like the idea that if you are going to be successful at a full year without clothes, it is good to look at your wardrobe and say, what are the things that are worn down that aren't working for me anymore that I am actually going to need next year? Let me buy them now so that... When next year comes, I'm not like, but I need new sandals. They're all broken. <laughs> yeah. So I think that part is actually kind of smart, you know? Um, I'm smart.
0: That's you're right. smart. I'm smart.
1: You're smart. Okay. If someone gifts you clothes as a gift, is that okay? Like, are you allowed to wear them or do you have to like store them away for a year?
0: I am not a masochist. So yes, I accept any and all gifts and will wear them gladly. Anthropology, sponsor me. Advertise <laughs> with us. Give me the stuff.
1: Okay. Before you you start wanting to buy anthropology and I don't want to get you in a bad place, let me ask you another question. Did you estimate how much you saved the first
0: time in 2018 that you stopped shopping for a year? Yes, I saved somewhere around two to three thousand dollars. I'm so sorry, Russ. I hope you still love me.
1: I'm not that's shopping actually, again. That's actually kind of impressive.
0: I mean It could be a lot more.
1: Like, I don't really actually want to see how much I spend in clothes a year, but you're making me feel like I probably should know that number.
0: Yeah, it's not nothing.
1: It's not nothing. I know that much. Okay, last question. What is one purchase you made and immediately regretted afterwards?
0: Well, we all know about the Gucci purse debacle of Hawaii 2021. (laughs) We do. We do. I do recall it, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. I bought a Gucci purse when I was in Hawaii. I've always wanted a designer purse. I had the money for it, and I could not sleep for two nights straight. I felt so freaking convicted over spending that much money on one single item for myself, so I took it back. You know, the world tells us that we deserve a lot of stuff, Lauren, and I am realizing that none of that is true. So my hope with this year without clothes in 2022 is that I can not only save some money to put towards remodeling my kitchen or my guest bathroom, but that I can also cultivate a little bit more intentionality around my spending habits in general. So I don't have to do another year without clothes again. I mean, really, that's my goal is like, let's just kick this problem in the butt Mm -hmm. once and for all. I do have a question for you before we transition and uh, start maybe doing some hot stuff. Should we do some hot stuff?
1: Uh, yeah, I got some hot stuff ready. Me mm-hmm. too,
0: me too. Okay, what percentage of your wardrobe do you think that you actually wear, Lauren? Realistically, 10%. Like 10 to 15% of my wardrobe is probably
1: what I actually wear. And I've been thinking about this a lot, Jen, with you doing your year without clothes and thinking about what I actually need and also being overwhelmingly concerned about the environment <laughs> global warming and all of these things that are actually a huge problem especially with fast fashion which is so hard to not buy from zara and madewell and all of these places because they have super cute stuff the quality is actually decent not a lot of money so i'm trying to hold on to my clothes longer make smarter purchases but i will also say not to throw off if people want to join Your year without clothes which i highly encourage but if you're like what's a step up from that you know how do i control my spending but not like never get new clothes all year and i have started to look into the idea of renting clothes, Jen. I found, obviously, Rent the Runway is one site. It's a little pricey, and it's a lot of designer clothes, which like I just don't need in my everyday life. Like it might be fun to do for some big party or event, which I'd never get invited to. But <laughs> but for like everyday life, this is something you could actually do, and it's called Newly N U U L Y, and they have mostly like anthropology. Free People, Urban Outfitters, and a ton of other brands, kind of in like the mid-price point area, things that we just normally buy and wear all the time. So nothing super extravagant, but really fun stuff. And it's $89 a month, and you get six items a month that you can order from them, and you can wear, and you return them they dry clean them they do everything and you just get on a plan so i thought i would bring that up because i'm actually considering doing it and i will let you all know what that looks like for me and if i enjoy it and how my experience is but i think as another alternative if you're like i can't fully get rid of clothing altogether this i'm really looking forward to because the sustainability aspect of it makes me so much happier than i realized i would be I'm like, oh my gosh, I can get these things, wear them, send them back. I don't need to own all this stuff. I don't need it all sitting in my closet and I don't need to put it in a landfill when I'm done with it, you know?
0: Yes. As a globe, we consume 100 billion garments per year. Ugh. I follow this woman named Kate on Instagram. She lives in New Zealand. Her name is Ethically Kate on Instagram. We'll link in the show notes she isn't shopping for a whole year because of sustainability reasons and she said that we consume 100 billion garments per year and that only 20 to 50 percent of our wardrobes are actually worn wow i just i think we've been sold no pun intended an idea that we need to look or dress a certain way or if clothes aren't your thing maybe it's cars or your house and keeping that updated we like need to have these certain things in order to be cool or achieve a status and that is not true because at the end of our lives, no one is gonna remember how we dressed. They won't remember what our house looked like or what type of car we drove, but they will remember how we made them feel. So in 2022, I am going into this year with the intention of loving a little more and spending a little less. So if you wanna join me, slide into those DMs.
1: Can I join your group me just like, so I can hang out with you guys? Cause it sounds so fun to like be a part of the conversation you know what, Jen, I'm going to ask you once a month for an update. And I think once a month on the pod, you should give us all an update on how the year without clothes is going, what you're learning about yourself. Because I think the thing that surprised me is, and I don't know if you were surprised by this in your first year in 2018, but I could see going into a year without clothes being like, okay, I'm going to save money. I don't need anything. I'm going to like feel that self-control over it. But when you talk about, understanding your emotional triggers better like that is fascinating to me because i feel like that's one of the reasons i shop maybe that's one of the reasons most people shop it's like sometimes we need things and other times we're like oh this feels so good like it's therapeutic was that a surprise to you in 2018 and like that's something i want to hear more like as you go through the journey what that looks like you know
0: there was one moment in 2018 where i had a terrible day and i pulled into the parking lot Right in front of one of my favorite local boutiques, and I was about to walk in and I was like, I'm just gonna get something. And I literally sat in the car and I thought, first of all, I cannot go buy something and then not tell all these people, all these people, like I have a massive following. I'm very appreciative of people who follow me on Instagram. I'm not saying that, but like,
1: I don't think it would matter to you if there was like a thousand people or two people. I mean, I know you'd feel the accountability either way. That's what I, th- yeah.
0: I want to be the same person on the inside that I'm saying that I am on the outside. So I felt like I couldn't trick people, basically, couldn't lie to people. But then I sat there and I thought, why? Why am I here? How did I get here? Yes. And that was a real, like, in Bible times, they used to build altars Mm -hmm. at really important moments. You know, I don't necessarily want to go stack up some rocks and build an altar every time something important happens in my life, but this was a very defining moment for me because I literally sat there and thought, okay, how did I get here? And I walked it back and I thought about all the things that had happened over the course of that day and how they made me feel. And I thought, okay, what's a better way to deal with that emotion? Mm -hmm. And I think I ended up going for a walk Mm. or praying or something more constructive. And guys, I don't know if you know this, but life is not getting any easier Mm-hmm. And we cannot shop our way through it.
1: Yeah. And that temporary joy that you get from shopping, it don't last.
0: Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. This might be a, a great place to transition to hot stuff because oh. mm-hmm. I want to talk about Ben Affleck and his coping skills or lack thereof. <laughs> are, are we talking about his Dunky Donuts? <laughs> Look, I support <laughs> Ben's Dunkin' habit. But this week, Ben okay. was on the Howard Stern Show. And, I mean, has anyone said anything good on the Howard Stern show I honestly
1: didn't even know if you asked me if Howard Stern was still alive I wouldn't actually know
0: that oh gosh yeah he's alive he has a very hot wife they have like 20 cats because she's all up in like adopting (laughs) animals I think they have a lot of dogs too it's not just cats I said cats 20 cats and that seemed like your worst nightmare
1: I I recently found out I was allergic to cats from your cats Jen Yeah, you're welcome yeah (laughs) On batch nights, I was like, no kitties. I cannot, even though you're cute and fluffy. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So Ben spoke to Howard Stern about how his marriage to Jennifer Garner contributed, big air quotes here, to his alcoholism. He even went so far to say that if he was still married to Jennifer, he would, big air quotes again, probably still be drinking. Some people thought that Ben was placing blame on Jennifer Garner for his alcoholism. And Ben then walked his comments back. Sure he did. Yeah on Jimmy Kimmel, oh. saying that his words on the Howard Stern show were the opposite of who he is. And he loves and respects Jennifer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right, I am not bringing all of this up to talk about Ben and Jen or even Ben and JLo. I mean, we will save that for another hot stuff. But what I do want to talk about, and I think this plays nicely into what we just talked about regarding finances and shopping, is coping strategies and personal responsibility because I read a great CNN article. Mm-hmm about things that we can learn from Ben's comments. The writer interviewed Harvard Medical School, professor of psychiatry, and director of the Massachusetts General Hospital Recovery Research Institute, John F. Kelly. So Dr. Kelly is no dummy, and he said that watching what is happening in Ben Affleck's life is a lesson in three things. One, taking personal responsibility for your actions. Two, learning effective coping skills, and three, effectively communicating what is needed. That is amazing.
1: Is j seeing some red flags here?
0: So I did see an article today where J-Lo came out and said that she was not embarrassed by Ben's comments on the Howard Stern show. She has nothing but love and support for Ben. And I was like, really? Like, not even just, like, a little bit? Because, <laughs> I mean, when you talk about the personal responsibility, like, I
1: want to say, did Jen also drive you to the Dunkin' Donuts? Or, like, literally
0: and figuratively, you know? Oh, yeah, because you couldn't drive yourself because you were drinking. (laughs) Sorry. Too soon? (laughs) Too Too soon. (laughs) Okay. So, obviously, Ben struggles with addiction. People who struggle with addiction use drugs or alcohol or sex or pornography or whatever as an ineffective way to cope with their emotions. And if Ben was feeling some kind of way about his marriage, it was probably less about his marriage and more about him feeling some kind of way about himself. Mm. So, like, he should have done the work to deal with how he was feeling first, then dealt with his addiction second. Then he should have taken a look at his marriage and evaluated whether it was or wasn't a healthy relationship for him.
1: Yes, separate from his addiction.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Also, Ben, I appreciate the fact that you are open about your struggles. I'm, I'm speaking directly to Ben right now. I want everyone to know. <laughs> oh, sorry.
1: We're not here, you guys. This is
0: just between Jen and Ben. <laughs> okay. So, Ben, appreciate it, my guy. I think it's important for people with a platform to talk openly about things like addiction and mental health but for the love of Pete Davidson, man, <laughs> leave Jennifer Garner's name out of your mouth.
1: <laughs> I agree. You can't not take that poor girl down with you anymore. Like, leave her alone.
0: I know that there are two sides to every marriage story, but you will have a hard time convincing the majority of America that being married to Jennifer Garner was anything less than a delight.
1: I agree. I would be married to Jennifer Garner in a heartbeat.
0: I am done here. What, are, <laughs> what is <laughs> drop, your hot stuff?
1: Mike drop. <laughs> Bring it on because I'm going to talk about ageism and sex in the city. Ooh,
0: you mean, and just like that.
1: (laughs) And just like that. So as you know, sex in the city is back. And just like that is what it's called. It's on HBO Max. I think there's three episodes up now. I started watching it. Guys, it's kind of um, depressing and maybe not necessary. Like, I don't (laughs) know.
0: (laughs) We're not going to spoil anything, but I heard how the first episode starts and I thought, I'm out. I'm good. Peace. I don't need to watch it. It's a little rough. Um, I don't want to
1: keep any away from it, but there should also be a trigger warning maybe with it. But that is not what we're here to talk about. I want to talk about this idea of ageism. So after this, the new series aired, which they haven't been on TV for quite a long time, especially the three leading ladies, there's been a lot of comments. From all the social medias about everything. And I think Sex in the City, maybe more than other shows, they are such icons. They've always been fashion icons, beauty icons. Like people feel like they have some authority or justification to speak about these women's clothing, about their appearance, about their hair, all of these things. But it's just gotten a little too
0: far. I think there's a difference between talking about their hair. Or their clothing in the episodes because that is from a costume designer, right?
1: Not necessarily when you talk about gray hair. So Miranda, on the character on the show, has gone fully gray, which is a new thing kind of trending for a lot of... Women to start just like letting themselves age gracefully, right?
0: Or those of us whose hairdresser won't text us back, so we just have to go fully gray. Or me in COVID, yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay, (laughs) great. And so, like, the ageism that comes from women letting their hair go gray, whereas a man that goes gray, silver fox, silver fox. But a woman, it's like, oh, why doesn't she dye her hair? It ages her
0: so much, you know? Life is completely unfair. Men. seem to get a pass on aging while women don't. Yes. I'm on board. Go mm-hmm. on. So all of these
1: comments that have come out on Instagram, just just people making note on their appearances. Kristen Davis, Charlotte on the show, um, <laughs> she was really angry. And so um, she took to social media and she said, everyone wants to comment pro or nay or whatever on her hair, on her faces, on our this or our that. The level of intensity of it was a shock. I feel angry and I don't wanna feel angry all the time. So I don't look at it, I just know it's there. I mean, how hard to come back from so long of being away and have this be
0: all people can talk about. And shouldn't we be praising them for showing what it looks like to age authentically and gracefully? We've talked before about, you know, my internal battle of am I gonna Botox my forehead or am I not? I don't know that I want to go down that road. I don't know that I want to be that model of fighting age to my kids, my students, all the things. Like, I don't know.
1: I will give you another side of that too. Um, Sarah Jessica Parker also called out these kind of ageist trolls on the internet in an interview with Vogue. And she said, there's so much misogynistic chatter in response to us that would never happen about a man, like I said gray hair, gray hair, gray hair. Does she have gray hair? She said she was sitting with Andy Cohen and he was a full head of gray hair and he's exquisite. Like, why is it okay for him? She said, um, you know, people are constantly saying, like, she has too many wrinkles. She doesn't have enough wrinkles. So, like, people are commenting, on when you get work done too and that's negative negative. and she says it almost feels as if people don't want us to be perfectly okay with where we are as if they almost enjoy us being pained by who we are today whether we choose to age naturally and not look perfect or whether you do something if that makes you feel better I know what I look like I have no choice what am I going to do about it stop aging disappear Like, is that not so heartbreaking? And that is what is facing women as we age. And it's so evident now because, yes, you can choose. Some women will choose to age naturally. Others will say, hey, it makes me feel better to just do these small things or even big things, whatever it might be, to feel good about myself. And I don't want to be judging either way. Like, that's your personal choice. But why do we feel like we get to comment on everybody's appearance and whether or not
0: they should age one way or the other. Also, this is a conversation that mostly only happens among women of privilege. Like, women who are poor, marginalized, do not have the means to choose how they age, Yes, they're not having this conversation. Yes, There is so many other things to be concerned about in the world than whether or not I'm going to Botox my forehead. Yeah. And... I just think this plays into a larger conversation that I hope we can continue in 2022 about the ways in which we're just getting a lot of things wrong right mm-hmm. now. Like yeah. we're just getting some stuff wrong. We've always been getting stuff wrong, but because we had 2020, this collective year off to literally look ourselves in the mirror and evaluate all the things we're getting wrong and mm-hmm. really sit with it. Yep. like now when you know better you do better so let's figure out how to do better in 2022 agreed i think we covered it all yeah we didn't stay silent about anything no because we truly believe that life is too short to stay silent
1: thank you all for raging with us